Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to that house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right, well, Merry Christmas. Welcome here, everyone. For our first ever, as Andrew mentioned, our first ever Providence Christmas Eve service. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. We are happy that you are here. I hope that you, uh, your bellies are filled with all sorts of sugary calories that you ate as people were bringing that stuff around. Last week, I honestly, I suggested, I slightly hinted at someone bringing prime rib this morning, but no one brought prime rib. And so I'm a little bit disappointed right now, so I'll just have to get through it. I'm going to put it on my prayer list for next year, actually. Next Christmas, it's on my wish list. Um, Hey, so Christmas uh, is always a a special time for me, I'm assuming for many of you too. And one of the things um, is I think a lot of us dream about that perfect Christmas moment. Like if when all our dreams are kind of realized, and I actually had one of those perfect Christmas moments. So seven years ago, um, in 2010, on Christmas Eve, literally down to the hour to the minute, this exact same time, seven years ago, uh, I was sitting in Starbucks on 114th and Dodge on a blind date with a girl, never met her before, but she was very attractive as I was looking at her. Uh, We had some great conversation for hours. The snow was falling down outside. It was this perfect scenario that ended up me getting married and having three kids. The rest is history. And so Christmas Eve is a little bit special to me. And that Christmas moment was actually 
a close second to a time in the late 80s when I got a Nintendo and a VCR in the same Christmas. But both of those were kind of dreams come true in their own right. Okay, so... My wife isn't here, so I can say that. Um, hey, so Christmas, for a lot of us, it conjures up all these emotions and these, like, magical feelings, right? And the world tries to tell us that it's the most wonderful time of the year. And they tell us to have a holly jolly Christmas, and, and the reality is, for a lot of you, you might be, I mean, honestly, you might be more excited uh, to go home and to open gifts tonight or to be opening gifts tomorrow rather than being here at a worship gathering, but today I want us to just pause for a second and pause and realize that there is a better Christmas story. There's a better version of Christmas. Uh, Like, it may not include that uh, Apple watch that you asked for or the shoes or the shirt that you have on your Christmas list, and it may not have a Lexus with a red bow on it in your driveway, but this is actually something better. That's better news for you. And my hope is that as all of us walk out this, these doors today and go home, that we would realize that the true Christmas story is actually a better story. It's a better message than we get from America's version of Christmas. And I also want you to realize, man, if you don't understand anything else, that God actually has a message for you this morning. Not just the person next to you, not the person that invited you. God has a message for you this morning through this story. Now, have you ever had to send a really important message before and you went to great lengths to make it happen? For example, uh, here at Providence on Christmas Eve, we uh, wanted to get the word out about the Christmas Eve service. We wanted a lot of people, friends and family to come and join us. And so we created these nice little invite cards and we handed them out to you so you can hand them out to your friends. Some of you might have received them and that's why you're here today. We posted all over social media. Andrew and I made a video inviting people to come. We went to great lengths to get this message out to people. Here's maybe another example that some of you are familiar with. Uh, So some of you have probably fallen in love before and maybe done extreme or maybe even stupid things to tell that person that you are in love with them. Like maybe you've gotten a tattoo before, you've written something with an airplane in the sky, I don't know. For me, what I did uh, is I went to an art store and I bought this make-it-yourself book and I wrote out and illustrated with stick figures because that's the level of my artistic abilities. But I wrote out and and illustrated uh, my love story with my then-girlfriend, who's now my wife, just to communicate to her that I loved her. I went to great lengths to do that. There's a story, another example, a story uh, that I heard of Billy Joel, the musician. You've heard of him before. He was more popular a few years back. But Billy Joel, back in 1997, he, uh, he had one daughter at the time, and she was 12 years or 11 years old, getting ready to turn 12. And on his daughter's 12th birthday, they were living in New York, but he was out in L.A. working on a project at the time, and he called his daughter on her 12th birthday and said, sorry, honey, I'm not going to be able to make it home for your birthday today. And he said, but I'm going to send you uh, something special. I'm going I'm to send you a special message. And so his daughter, obviously devastated by the news that her dad uh, wouldn't be there on Christmas, he uh, 
he said, just, just wait for that. So she, she waited, and later on in the day, the doorbell rang, and as she opened the door, there was about a six-foot-tall, brightly-wrapped box on her front step, and she's like, wow, I wonder what this is. And the delivery man picked it up, delivered it, put it into her house, and so she's like, well, I might as well tear it open. So she starts ripping into this thing and rips open to the box, and all of a sudden, an arm and a leg came out, and she realized that her dad was inside the box, fresh off a flight from the West Coast, and her dad went to great lengths to tell her or to send the message to his daughter that he loved her, and he wouldn't miss her birthday for anything in the world. Today, as we read the Christmas story, God is trying to send a message. There's a message coming from the heavens and and, and coming to you today, and we're going to find this message and, and uh, unwrap its, its uh, holdings in the Christmas story in Luke 2. It's a message delivered to your front door today, and my hope is that as you hear this Christmas story, that we would truly believe what it says in Luke 2, verse 10, when it says that this message and this gift was good news of great joy for all people. Christmas is good news for you. There is a reality that the real Christmas is actually better than Hallmark's version of Christmas. The real Christmas is actually better than America's commercialized version of Christmas. And we're going to see that this message comes in this story in Luke. It's going to come from a lowly king to a lowly people. From a lowly king to a lowly people. And so we want to look at first this lowly king. And we're going to read out of Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, where it says this. <laughs> Excuse me. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, the first thing that we need to know in this, if Christmas is going to matter anything to us at all, is that this actually happened. This is a real event. And Luke, the author, the one who penned these words, he was um, known for including meticulous details to try to show people, hey, this isn't just something random that I'm making up. This is actually factual, historical. And so in this, he cites Caesar Augustus, who was a real Caesar, who was in Rome. If you're a history buff, you might know that he was the real Caesar around the time of Jesus and helped usher in the Pax Romana to bring that peace into the Roman world at that time. Quirinius, less known, but he was a real governor in that time. You can find their names listed in the history books. And Luke is describing this real historical event that happened. And then he goes on and he starts describing what many of us know as the more traditional Christmas story. Let's pick up in verse 3. It says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him uh, in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Now, do you notice that this is just pretty cut and dry? It's pretty factual. It's not a lot of embellishment here going on. It basically says, there's these two people, Mary and Joseph. They traveled to Bethlehem. 
Mary felt a baby coming on. Then she gave birth to the baby. Then she wrapped him in these claws, and then she lied him in a, a manger or a feeding trough because there was no room for them anywhere else. Now, what exactly do we understand from this? Well, let's get inside the heads of Mary and Joseph a little bit. So think of Joseph. This guy is a Jewish carpenter. He's not banking. He's not popular. He's maybe low class, lower middle class. He's kind of a a nobody in the grand scheme of things. Then you have Mary, a teenage girl with no sense of significance um, outside of what God was trying to do with her. And by the world's standard, she was no one special here. Mary was very, very pregnant at this time. And, and so let's just zoom out a little bit and, and think about this because you think about this in, the ter- in terms of like the Christmas story, but let's remember Christmas didn't exist back then, right? They weren't having a holly jolly Christmas as they were driving or riding or whatever, walking to Bethlehem. There was no Christmas lights. There was no Christmas songs. There was no Santa in the mall that was greeting them. There was no Salvation Army ringers on the path to, to Bethlehem as they were walking there, right? These guys probably would have been distraught. They'd been forced by powerful Roman forces to make an 80-mile trek in harsh conditions so they could be counted, then inevitably be taxed after that. They probably aren't very excited. Mary's probably afraid with her firstborn kid. She's probably feeling insecure, feeling unsure. Man, I can just imagine how frustrated they might be. Like, okay, why us? Why now? Why is it working out this way? Now, imagine God's grander plan. So 700 years before this happened, there was a prophet named Micah. And Micah said that there would be a Savior born in the town of Bethlehem. And so what God had orchestrated in this scene is the most powerful man in the world, Caesar, had shifted around, issued this decree to shift around thousands and thousands. The majority of the people in this part of the world are are moving around because of the census. And God has worked through this power of Caesar to move these thousands upon thousands of people around just so he could get this nobody carpenter and this insignificant teenage mom moved to an afterthought of a town. And God was so big to make all of this move around, to arrange all of these circumstances however he wanted, but yet there was no room for them to stay anywhere. Instead, he chose insignificant people in an insignificant town to be relegated to most likely a, a, a stable where animals are. Mary would have this this baby in a manger, which is another word for a feeding trough, probably a stone thing where they laid hay. It's a place where donkeys or horses or goats or, or cows would eat. I don't know about you, but I get grossed out just touching my kids' plates after they eat lunch. I would not want to have a newborn baby and lay it in a plate for a horse or a donkey. Like, it doesn't make any sense. This scene... Uh, when describing this scene, <clears throat> we have to get behind the message that God is trying to send and, and the thing that he is trying to show us in the Christmas story about Jesus. He's not trying to paint how high and mighty Jesus is. 
He's not just just describing the the highness of King Jesus. He's not describing the the otherworldliness of Jesus, but rather in this scene, he's describing the humility of Jesus. How low he's willing to go. He's describing a lowly king. Uh, Pastor Kent Hughes said it like this about Jesus coming to the manger. He said, It was as if the Son of God rose from his splendor, stood poised at the rim of the universe, and dove headlong, speeding over the stars and through the Milky Way to Earth's galaxy, finally plunging into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower. Squeezing into Mary's womb, being born as a helpless baby in a feeding trough for animals. What? It doesn't seem like it makes sense. And while we love telling and sometimes embellishing this this story of Bethlehem and the manger and Jesus and Mary and Joseph, God is trying to communicate or rather set himself apart because you see in our world, the rulers of our day, the kings of our day, they make it a point to, to build their palaces and and separate themselves from the commoner. The kings of our day are protected by secret service. The kings of our day, they live plush lifestyles, only the things that we see on TV and the things that we dream about. But, But God did something else. You see, God's kingdom is upside down. He not only came to us, but he became the lowest. You know what this means for us? Well, first of all, it means that he came down and got on our level. The God of the universe. He came down and he got on our level. When I come home from work every day, I've got three kiddos and the oldest two who can run and talk, whatever. When I walk in the door, every day it's the same thing. They go, Daddy! And then they come running to me and they throw their arms around my legs. And what do I do? Well, I don't usually kick them off and tell them, hey, get out of here. I got to go do something more important like watch TV. I never do that, actually. I actually get down and throw my arms around them. I get down on their level. I, I get down on the floor and wrestle around with them because I want to get down on their level. When my kids come to me and they say, daddy, I'm hurt or they're crying and they don't, can't control all their emotions because they're so hurt, I get down on their level. I put my arms around them and I kiss their owies, which they think for some reason makes it feel better. I'm not sure why, but I get down on their level and I comfort them. When my kids have a dirty diaper, I get down, reluctantly, I get down on their level and I make it all better. Unless it's really bad, then I make my wife do it. But that's beside the point. God has come down to us on our level. You see, God doesn't value the world's version of power and fame and control and money, but yet our God values love and grace and forgiveness and self-sacrifice. He was a lowly king. He showed us that in the manger. You know that story of of Billy Joel, the parallel to to the story in Bethlehem, it actually goes further than I mentioned before. Because you see, God didn't just send us a message and send us a package, a gift, and hope that maybe we got it or hope that we maybe received it, but God actually sent himself. Jesus, in the form of a man, showed up on our front door on Christmas. 
So my question for you right now is this. Do you actually believe that? Like, do you believe that Jesus came for you? It's true. It says it. Right in the Bible, Jesus came down from heaven to earth for you. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something made up. This is something that happened in history. And the God of earth came down from the heavens to earth and he came for you. Do you believe that? We have a God who has come down and become lowly. And because of that, the, the reality is, is he knows your pains and your struggles because he's been there. He's lived this life. He knows your victories and your joys and your celebrations because he has lived this life. We have a God who knows us and cares about us. We have a God who has come down for us. Now, as you hear that, there's probably some of you like, wait, I believe that maybe God has come down for the, the spiritual person who was singing out those songs before, or maybe for my cousin who invited me to this service, but I don't go to church. I don't think Jesus came down for me. Well, I want you to listen to the next part of this story, that this lowly king came for the lowly people. So in verse 8, it says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, let me explain what's happening here. So you imagine they're shepherds, they're outside of Bethlehem, while Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem. And, and picture this with me for a second. So it's a dark night. They're out in the rugged countryside. Imagine there's stars in the sky and there's not much, if any, sound at all because the shepherds are sleeping and the sheep are sleeping. And it's a quiet, quiet setting and then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, this angel comes and the, it says the glory of the Lord shows. So, so you have this light coming down from heaven, this supernatural being. You can imagine that they were freaked out, which is why the angel, the first thing at the angel's mouth is fear not. And this is like this when angels show up to Mary and Joseph and other people in the Bible. They a lot of times have to start off with saying, hey, I know this is a little bit scary, but hey, fear not. Because this angel said, I'm coming to bring good news to you. Now, I want to pause here for a second before we get into that good news and, and, and describe to you why this is actually much more odd than it appears at first glance. Like this is much more unexpected than the unexpected of angels appearing to people in the middle of nowhere. Like this is much more unexpected than that. Why? Because the angel or the angels came to shepherds. Now if you look at at historians back in the first century or around this time, you will learn that shepherds, for most people, were despised people. There were people that were pushed out to the fringe of society. A lot of people considered them thieves. But in general, a lot of people didn't trust shepherds. They were untrusted people, so much so that they weren't allowed to testify in courts in the day. 
And so you start thinking of these shepherds like, wow, that's kind of crazy. The religious people a lot of times didn't affiliate with these shepherds. They were outcasts. They were pushed out. They were outsiders in every way. In other words, it was completely unexpected. I mean, wouldn't you think if Jesus was coming down that he wouldn't come down to to the unexpected. He would come down to a king. He would come down to popular people. He would come down to to religious leaders of the day. It was so incredibly unexpected. It would be like as if Jesus came today and the angels came to announce it first to at 3 a.m. to the Taco Bell drive-thru crew. You're like, wait, what? Or it'd be like if if the angel came to to announce it maybe to the inmates in the middle of the night at the Douglas County Jail. You're like, what? That, That doesn't quite make sense. Or it might be like if if the angels first announced it to, like, anyone in Iowa, like, that doesn't make any sense. I apologize. I talked to some new people from Iowa on the way in, so we do love Iowa, and I think God does, too. Um, you know, the, the message behind the message is that this good news is for anyone. Jesus is for anyone. He came to bring good news of great joy to all people. And that's good news because that means that if you have been through rehab, this message is for you. That means that if you struggle with addiction, this message is for you. That means that if you have a felony on your record, this message is for you. It means if you didn't graduate from high school, this message is for you. It means that if you have been homeless before or maybe you can't pay your bills right now, this message is for you. If you're a person who feels like you just can't measure up, if you feel like you can't live up to your family's standards, this message is for you. If you feel like you've done something in your past that you can't shake and it brings this sense of guilt and this shame over you day after day, this message is good news for you. You know, when I think back to um, elementary school PE class, when the PE teacher used to make us line up on the half-court line and picked out two captains, I think of a lot of us have PTSD from this moment when you're picking teams and you were just hoping and praying, Jesus, don't let me be last. It's going to be so embarrassing. We have this PTSD from this, and God wants to communicate today through the Christmas story that he picks the last first. There is no one too far gone. A lowly king to a lowly people. Jesus came after you. He wants you. As the story goes on, one angel is joined by a bunch of angels in verse 14. And it says, glory to God, or they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Now, these angels proclaim that this Savior, Jesus, is bringing peace. And this gets at this meaning behind the message that God is trying to communicate through Jesus. Jesus didn't show up just to say, hey guys, here I am, I love you, I hope everything's good. No, he was coming to fix a problem. And the problem is is that on earth we have a lack of peace. 
I mean, just look at the story and then you can see some of the lack of peace. You see a power-hungry Caesar and a power-hungry governor that is um, lording their power over some people and making them move around so they could tax them. And, and then you have Mary and Joseph who are insignificant in many ways and so they weren't respected enough uh, to be able to get a, get a place to stay, to be able to have a baby. Then you see the shepherds. There were people who were despised and they were outcasts. All these symptoms, it kind of sounds like 2017, right? Where there's oppression, where there's hate, where there's outcasts, where there's power-hungry people. These problems haven't changed in 2,000 years. And this unrest, this turmoil has actually always existed until almost the very beginning of creation. And it started when humans first rebelled against God. And we hear about these problems and we think, man, all these huge problems of oppression and hate in the world and outcasts and all of these things seem so big and so out there. The Bible would tell us something different, that these problems are not just big and out there. They are, but at the very source of them, they come back to our very own hearts. The problem starts with the sin inside of us. In Romans 3, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, not just the lowly, but every single one of us. There is no categorization in the Bible of having good people and some bad people on the earth, the categorization that the Bible makes is that Jesus is the only perfect person and then there's everyone else. And that means that Caesar needed a savior just as much as the shepherds did. He needed peace. We all need peace. We all need Jesus. So this lowly King Jesus that entered into this world on a manger continued this this upside-down way of doing things all the way to the end of his life. Think about it this way. This king who was born in a feeding trough died and was crucified on a piece of wood. He was killed on a cross. And what Jesus did 2,000 years ago was take the punishment and the power of sin. And when he died on the cross, he took that upon himself and had victory over it. And he rose from death and defeated it. And that sin inside of us, that, that sin that keeps us separated from God, it can be forgiven. It can be removed and we can be reunited with God when we place our faith in Jesus, our Savior, the forgiver of our sins, the Lord of our life. And now, in this moment right now, it's our turn to respond humbly. Are we willing to get low like King Jesus got low? Whether you consider yourself as kind of on this end of the spectrum as more like a shepherd, more like an outsider, or you're one of the powerful, successful ones in the world on this side of the spectrum, The question is, is will you admit, I don't have peace apart from Jesus? Our humble response is is to come to Jesus and, and ask forgiveness, to place our faith in him, to receive the message of good news that he brought on Christmas. He offers forgiveness. He offers peace. He offers us himself. And maybe the greatest thing that he offers is just a relationship, that we can be with him forever. 
So would you turn to or turn back to Jesus this Christmas Eve? You know, the angels, they told the shepherds that this good news would be of great joy. And there's something unique about this relationship with Jesus. That when you are with him, it brings this sense of joy that the world can't give you. Life with Jesus brings this joy that can't be shaken by life's circumstances, no matter how bad they get. This joy is an everlasting joy that goes on and it keeps going on and on and on. And it brings about a joy that's better than Hallmark's version of Christmas. It's better than commercial America's version of Christmas. Those things just fade in a couple weeks anyway. After the shepherds saw Jesus in a manger, they couldn't help but worship him. And so for us in the room today, whether you have heard this story hundreds of times or whether maybe it's just clicking for you for the first time today, could we be like the shepherds? Could we be a people who were completely transformed when we met him? And could we walk away worshiping and glorifying him with our lives because God came to us, a lowly king to us, a lowly people. And that brings everlasting peace and everlasting joy forever and ever and ever. Let me pray. God, we are thankful for this message. Man, what a great truth to understand. So many times, uh, so many of us have heard about Jesus walking the earth as a man, but uh, what a life-changing truth it is that if you would have never come to earth, it would have changed everything. And so we are grateful on this Christmas Eve morning of your humility, of your willingness to go to the lowest place, Not just physically, but spiritually go to the lowest place on the cross so we could be lifted up with you. So we could have relationship with you. So we could experience the love and the forgiveness and the grace and the joy and the peace that comes only from you. God, move our hearts toward you. Move our hearts toward worship. We love you and we are so thankful for the message of Christmas this Christmas Eve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.